Welcome to Parent Talk Podcasts, where experienced parents and expert guests give tips and tricks on making parenting a breeze. Well, at least a little easier. Now here is your host, Genevieve Kyle, and co-host, Heather Fox. Hi everyone, and welcome to Parent Talk, broadcasting out of the greater Vancouver area. We're here to inform, educate, and support parents from the early years and beyond. Our show, it's a great way to expand your village and fill your parental toolbox with as many resources as possible. I'm Genevieve Carl. I'm your host here on Parent Talk, as well as On Les Parents Parle, which is Parent Talk's new French edition. I'm 43-year-old, and I'm a mom of two boys, Alexandre, who is two and a half, and Nathan, who is almost one. Because oral month is coming to a close, so we thought we have one more great dental topics for you, and that is the do's and the don'ts of teething. So let's go around the table and introduce ourselves. Hi everyone, Heather Fox here, co-host of Parent Talk. I am 41 years old. I have a son named Hudson. He is just over two years old and a beautiful new baby girl, Madeline. Hi everyone. I'm Calvin Tam, uh, general dentist at North Delta Dental. Uh, I've been in private practice for about 15 years and uh, at our practice we see uh, yeah, young children from age one and we see all, people all the way up to uh, 100 plus. Uh, I am married with the and a father of two boys, nine and seven, and I'm also 40 years old. <laughs> <laughs> so Calvin, why does teething get such a bad rap? So teething naturally gets blamed for everything that happens during infancy. So from, you know, as early as age four months, probably well through um, till child's past two, If something's wrong in terms of uh, more crying, more irritability, a change in sleep, a change in behavior, we just blame it on teething. So yeah, um, it gets commonly blamed for everything that happens um, during infancy. And the science behind it um, kind of says otherwise. Um, but anecdotally, uh, our parents have told us and we've told our And our friends who are also parents, that these are all different things that happen and it's, it's because of teething. Um, you know, if we look back into the history of teething, um, you know, way back even with, uh, with Hippocrates, he, even he described uh, signs and symptoms of teething relating to fever and, and uh, irritability and all sorts of things. Um, as crazy as it sounds, in, in the 1800s, a common practice to help with a teething child was lancing of the gums. So that was, they would actually take a scalpel and actually cut the gums to allow teething to happen. Now obviously all of this sounds crazy and un completely unnecessary, but at the time these were, you know, well re world-renowned doctors that were believing that these things actually happened. Um, but, you know, come to common day now, uh, and you, know, you go through the literature and research, um, actually very little is caused by teething. Um, there are some symptoms that are related, but a lot of what we think may be related to teething actually might not be. What are the common myths on teething? So some of the common ones are uh, fever, diarrhea, rash, and pain. So specifically to fever and diarrhea, 
Uh, neither of those things call, are, are related to teething. Uh, they're all going to be either uh, bacterial or viral based. So at, at the baby's young age, their immune system is still completely developing. And so they're fighting bugs all the time. Sometimes you'll, you'll get to a point where they're fully ill, you know, sick with a fever or symptoms or coughing and sneezing, and sometimes you don't. But if I always tell parents, if they have a fever, don't, don't blame it just on the teething. They're fighting something. So if, you have, if the child has a fever, you treat the fever. You know, Tylenol to reduce the fever, you know, uh, cold cloths to keep them cool. And if the fever prolongs more than a couple of days, go see your family physician. Same thing with diarrhea. And usually diarrhea is going to be something either diet-related or some sort of bug. Um, like a stomach, like a stomach flu or enterovirus, which is common in kids. So, if you see diarrhea, then treat the diarrhea. Lots of fluids. Make sure they don't get dehydrated. And again, anything prolonged that lasts more than a couple of days, go see your family doctor. Uh, rash is another one. Um, you know, I, I've heard people say, "Oh, my my son has a rash on his bum," and is it teething? And you know, to think that teeth something that's happening in the mouth that can affect something systemic that far is doesn't common sense wise doesn't seem to make sense and the literature proves that proves that as well um so rash you know could be all sorts of something they're touching you know change in um detergent whatever it may be something that again something that you should talk to your family physician um, but the biggest thing is pain um pain's controversial um because uh, a child's only form of communication with us, or I mean, uh, a, a baby, is crying. They will cry because they're hungry. They'll cry because they're sleepy. They'll cry for everything. But, you know, are, are, are we really able to distinguish between one cry versus another cry? So are we, when we're crying incessantly, are we blaming it? If we blame it on teething and think that they're in pain, then gosh, they'll be in pain for a long time because teething happens as early as age somewhere between four to six months all the way till about two and a half, three years. So to think that they're in pain during that entire time doesn't, again, common sense doesn't seem to make sense. Um, from a scientific point of view, well, the child's um, nervous system is not completely developed yet either. So what they're sensing or not sensing, we don't know either. And because we can't communicate with a child or, you know, get feedback from them, we can actually do like scientific tests to say, okay, does teething cause pain or not? So it's kind of like one of those things where, well, it's not a belief or not belief. It's more of, okay, what seems to make sense? So the other thing that I usually will point to is when um, baby teeth turn in, turn over to adult teeth. So around age five or six is usually a time when the child starts to, to get a new tooth in the front. So the old baby tooth will loosen. And most of the time, the child won't even complain or notice it other than say that, okay, there's a wiggly tooth, it's interfering with chewing. Around that same time are the six-year molars, that, the first adult molars, they appear. They appear from behind the, uh, the baby molar. And so they don't actually replace a tooth. They just show up. And f from all reports, when I commonly ask parents, they won't even know that that tooth's already arrived. Because when I do an examination, I say, oh, your son or your daughter's got a new tooth in the back. Oh, really? I didn't even see that. And, and so when you kind of factor all that together, it kind of leads to, to the idea that probably there isn't pain involved, not severe pain at least. Could there be some mild discomfort and irritation? Absolutely. Um, you know, but is it painful enough that we have to 
resort to um, giving uh, pain medication on a regular basis or anything like that. I mean, that's, that's you know, that's the question, right? Um, but historically, we go back to history, you know, the words that we use, the things that we say makes it sound like it's painful. Like we even use the term, oh, my child cut his first tooth. But I mean, if you, as you know, enamel is not sharp. It's it's a hard structure. If you take your finger and run it over your own tooth, it's not a sharp structure. The body is very cool in the fact that it produces its own chemicals to cause remodeling of tissue. So that the, the, when a tooth is erupting and arising, it go, it's growing through bone and soft tissue and arrives in the mouth. There's no cutting action involved in that process. But we use those terms, so in the end, we kind of almost build in the pain, the idea of pain in the words that we use already. So that's that's probably one of the, the biggest myths that when I share this with parents, parents are like, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I've had two boys. I've been there. I, 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 I've seen it. I mean, my first, my first son didn't have much issues, and the second one had a lot of issues in terms of irritability. But was it teething? I don't know. Likely not. Could have been so many other things, because uh, he had um, he had issues with gas and he had issues with feeding and so on and so forth as well. I mean, so many things are happening all at the same time that they could be just coincidental that all these things are happening. But to really distinguish between one versus another is very difficult. Mm-hmm. What are the symptoms of teething then? So they've done more recently. They've done all the literature. Uh, if you go through literature um, from a 2016 um, article in the American Academy of Pediatrics, um, one study, they basically kind of look back at all the good studies through the years that's happened. And basically the, the main uh, symptoms that are common, that are related, are uh, drooling, which we've all seen, mm-hmm. uh, mild gum irritation, and some mild irrita- irritability. Uh, they also did find like um, a, a slight elevation in body temperature, but not enough that would be classified as a fever. Um, drooling, uh, the big thing with drooling is the body thinks that the tooth is food. That's why the, the extra drooling. So let's say if you uh, give you a pebble and you put it in your mouth, you're going to salivate more because your body thinks it's food. Or let's say when we uh, give our patients a, a new night guard for grinding of teeth, mm-hmm. that's the first thing I tell patients. Like, you're going to drool a lot more. You're going to find a puddle on your, on, your, on your pillow because of it, because the body thinks it's food. Once it kind of readapts, then it'll disappear. So you get all this extra drooling. Well, gosh, that could be uncomfortable for a child. So that would you know, make sense. It would, they would be irritable. They might cry more. It's not uncomfortable. You get the drool all over the bib and you get the drool all over the cheeks and then you get like your, you know, you know, dry cheeks and red cheeks and red lips and everything. And that's, that's also possible. So, you know, those are absolutely related to the fact that there's a new tooth coming. Mm -hmm. What are the common treatment to avoid? So there's a pretty long laundry list of them. A lot of them are anecdotally kind of passed along in terms of what works. Uh, A lot of them don't have much scientific evidence at all. Um, You're going to laugh, but alcohol, um, I've heard. I'm scared. I mean, (laughs) I've heard parents say, oh, yeah, just take some bourbon or whiskey and just rub it on the gums. Um, Baby's liver can't 
can't uh, manage alcohol. It's actually toxic to the liver. So it's something that you need to absolutely avoid. Uh, but it, that's out there. Um, topical gels that you can buy at the drugstore is another one. So most of these usually is a numbing agent. Um, similar to like the swab that the dentist may give you before you get a dental injection. Um, so it contains benzocaine, and that's the that's the actual anesthetic, and it just numbs the surface. So it's, and it's very short acting; it doesn't last for very long. So you can imagine if you're using it on a child, you have how much you have to use to keep using and using and using if if they are actually suffering from some sort of discomfort or pain. Um, the biggest issue, though, and it's not even just the overuse, but benzocaine itself can lead to a particular. Rare, dis- um, rare disorder called uh, methemoglobinemia. And this condition causes the red blood cells in the bloodstream to not carry enough oxygen. So overall, I said, you know, just don't buy that. Don't use it. Um, I'll be honest, um, as a new dad and dealing with a crying child, um, my wife convinced me to try it. And even though I was the dentist and said otherwise, I, I relented. And we tried it and realized that it was completely useless, and I threw it away. Um, but I, I strongly urge parents just to just don't even bother to avoid it. Um, this is actually an agent that people use for toothaches for themselves as adults. And I always tell them that's also use, useless for them. It's not going to help them with any sort of tooth pain in general. So it's well marketed. So whoever mm-hmm. works uh, works for marketing for these companies have done a good job because when we te- people think of tooth pain, they think of the, uh, these type of agents. Um, another uh, common uh, treatment would be homeopathic tablets. So Camilla drops or Highland tablets. Um, Highland tablets in particular actually have been banned by the FDA in the United States. Um, the it uses a uh, I think the um, Medicinal ingredient is belladonna, and the issue was um, the uh, the the amount of dose was in the tablet wasn't consistent, so they actually had banned it. But the, there's no scientific research that actually shows either of these agents being any use for any sort of pain relief or for um, comfort in teething. Um, so that's that's another one that I would I would recommend to kind of avoid. Um, the other one would be, uh, amber necklaces. So amber necklaces are super common. I see them on all, in all the sort of, uh, kids stores. Um, the, and the, the amber is actually specific. They, I, when I was uh, reading into it, they look, it's amber from the Baltic sea and the amber, the theory is that amber releases a chemical called, uh, called uh, succinic acid and succinic acid, um, through the the warmth of the skin can cause the release of the succinic acid from the amber and can be absorbed into the skin. And it ha- supposedly has um, analgesic properties. But, um, again, no science has actually shown that that to be the case. But the other worry is, okay, well, if that's the case, at what dosage is this being absorbed, at what rate and how often and so on and so forth, you're having this chemical absorbed into your child. Um, so that's the, sort of the one worry that I have with the necklaces. But the bigger thing, actually, whether it works or not works, is the choking and strangulation possibility with these necklaces. Um, the beads themselves could potentially break off, cause a, tra- a choking hazard. 
the necklaces themselves, I've seen cases where uh, they've, if they were maybe held on the wrist and they wound around the fingers and cut off circulation and so forth. So, you know, those two hazards alone, I think, outweigh any possibility of any, any benefit of it. So I, I recommend that that's something to avoid as well. Um, teething biscuits is another one because um, of the exposure of um, sugar to the teeth. Uh, plain and simple, we don't want to uh, overexpose the teeth to extra sugar if we don't need to. And then the the last thing, I don't know if it's a, I wouldn't say avoid, but careful use, I would say, is with respect to uh, pain medication like Tylenol or Advil. Um, again, we kind of go back to to you know whether the child is truly in pain or not. And how much are you going to use? You know, how often, how long? Because I've, you know, we kind of talked about how long te- the teething process actually happens. Um, how much are you going to be giving to them? I mean, in the end, we all want what's best for our kids, right? So it, obviously, the less that we can use in terms of uh, medications and drugs that we, to give them, the better. And so if we can avoid it, why not? Especially if we don't really even know if it's actually effective. Um, that, and that's the hard part of distinguishing between um, the, the factual science and, and the anecdotes that are passed along. Like, you know, we, all, we commonly will end up in situations where, oh, yeah, this worked for my child and that worked for my child. And you'll have another parent saying otherwise. And so that's the hard part for parents. So it was like, okay, what's, what's good and what's not? And, and, you know, here's the information and, you know, but let's uh, let's get the facts and kind of go from there. Mm-hmm. Heather, what have you done with Hudson when he is teething? Um, so some of the things we've done are on the don't list, but um, I would still continue to do them. <laughs> um, so um, probably from about three months, I did do the amber teething necklace for Hudson. Um, I did a lot of research into it myself as well, and. I knew the risks with strangulation, but majority of that is when the baby is sleeping. So we were extremely careful to make sure whenever he was going down for his nap or for bedtime, that the necklace came off. Um, Mornings that we did forget to put it back on, I honestly noticed a little bit of a difference in maybe his irritability and different things like that. Um, So again, it looked cute, but I think it maybe potentially helped a little bit. It's hard to Um, know, right? It's very hard to know, but again... I I felt that the risks were because we were taking it away and he was wearing it always supervised. So I decided it was okay that way. We also did um, the, the homeopathic um, Camilla tablets and they also have a gel with the Camilla in as well. So, and I found honestly, when he seemed irritable, I used that and it seemed to help him. Um, so those are a couple of the don'ts that we did. <laughs> and other than that, he... He's been pretty good. Drools like an insane amount. We have a humongous collection of bibs. <laughs> so that is something that I definitely noticed when the tooth is coming that, you know, the bibs aren't being changed, you know, morning and afternoon. They're being changed every hour. Um, so definitely you can notice a difference with that. So, you know, try to keep him as dry as possible to avoid more irritation. Um, right before the tooth comes, he does seem to get a bit quite flush and which is probably just that slight rise in body temperature, but he never gets like a fever. Um, and I think we've potentially resorted to Tylenol 
two to three times, but like in his whole year, I resorted to it maybe two or three times. So really it's never become a, oh, he's teething again. Let's give him Tylenol. It's been like middle of the night. We're desperate. He's like a scorpion. And <laughs> like, I don't know what else to do for this child. So this is what I'm going to try. <laughs> yeah. For Alex, actually, we haven't done anything. <laughs> we just, <laughs> yeah, because we just let him teeth. Yeah, no, yeah, there was not very much we did. Uh, actually, it took forever for his teeth to come to start with. Like all my friends had their babies all had teeth, and Alex, I, I think he was teething around eleven months, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. And did you notice any signs or symptoms? It more okay, definitely more drooling. Yeah. And one time I woke up in the middle of the night, and I thought his lip, his upper lip, was swollen a little bit. But his four anteriors teeth did grow all at the same time. Wow. So the top, so I think it was maybe a little bit all at the same time, mm-hmm. a bit too much for him. I don't know. It was maybe a little bit tough, but um, that was only one time. Yeah. That's it, right? And I can't actually. Maybe I gave him Tylenol. I don't remember. I'm not even sure I gave him Tylenol that time or not. But yeah, that's it. Yeah, I mean, um, every child's different in terms of when the teeth arrive. Mm-hmm. Um, it usually will start with the lower two front teeth and then goes to the top. But sometimes they decide to skip and change and whatnot. Um, my eldest son, he took him till 14 months before he had his first tooth. And me being a dentist, I was freaking out. Oh, do I need to take x-rays and where's his teeth? What's going on? <laughs> and it arrived. And as a, as a nine-year-old, he's, he's delayed in, in his development of teeth as well. He's, as a nine-year-old, he's only actually lost three baby teeth which is very late because wow, the, that yeah, would have happened yeah. around age six. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, every child is different and I yeah. tell parents, no, not to worry when we're looking and that's part of our, what I look for in, in uh, the regular examinations mm-hmm. is, you know, where the teeth are coming you know, where the teeth are, where, how many there are and so on and so forth as well. So what are the treatment we can use then? Um, so all of it is just comfort stuff, right? So uh, a cold, wet cloth that you keep in the, uh, in the fridge is good. Uh, I don't recommend the freezer because it's a little bit too cold um, on the gum tissue. Um, chewing toys, obviously ones that you can keep clean and, and clean well. Uh, I think my kid's favorite uh, was a, a Sophie toy. Mm-hmm. Hudson uh, loves Sophie. The <laughs> um, chew on? Yeah, the chew yeah. on. and like, it, it makes a noise too, right? Mm. Um, it can, yeah. It's, it's more of like the rubber. Like a little but, squeak. Yeah. Um, again, but I, I think with the, the Sophie toy, it, I've seen reports where if it doesn't get cleaned properly, you can build up uh, mold on the inside. So, I mean, everything you yeah, got. Yeah, if it goes in the water. Yeah, yeah. you just kind of got to watch out for stuff like that. But chew toy, chewing toys are good. Uh, cold cloths are good. Cold, cold uh, plastic spoons. Uh, I would avoid ice like because of choking hazard. But if you like crushed it and maybe put it into like one of those little mesh containers uh, for them to kind of suck on a little bit, that would be okay. Um, I don't recommend like using like uh, fruit or frozen fruit or anything like that because for the same reason of exposing um, sugar to the teeth, TLC and patience, mm-hmm. lots of hugs and cuddles and 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 just keeping them comfortable and because uh, you know yeah they're irritable and. But we may or may not know exactly why. But we, as parents, we just do whatever we can. And, mm. and sometimes we can't. And we just have to kind of bear through it as well. 
I mean, my son from three months months on, we were saying all the time, oh, it's probably teething, it's probably teething, right? So like Calvin is saying, if you resume to Tylenol every single time, like I would have done this from three months to 11 months because the first tooth just like popped in at 11 months, right? So I think, yeah, give them some love, hold them, watch, be attentive, follow your gut, you know, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. but... Don't blame it right away on teething. Maybe it's maybe uh, maybe it's something else. Like you said, maybe viral, maybe bacterial, and that needs to be uh, you need to pay attention. Yeah. yeah, and those are things that we you know want to address right away rather than putting it off to something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Calvin, we can find you on our panel of expert at parenttalk.ca, but where else can we find you? Uh, so for more information of our dental practice, but I also run a blog that I update almost on a weekly basis. Um, you can visit us at northdeltadentist.ca. I am also on social media on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, where we have uh, common videos um, providing all sorts of information on oral health care for kids and adults alike. So you can look us up uh, if you just search either North Delta Dental or North Delta Dentist, you'll be able to find us. Awesome. Heather, I think it's time for a conversation card. Can you please grab one and read it to us? All right. So question today, what personality trait has gotten you in the most trouble? (laughs) Ooh, that's a tough one. (laughs) Probably my stubbornness. Yeah. Um, My stubbornness to maybe not want to change as quickly as people around me would want me to so i get that at work and at home so office wife and wife at home um probably uh that's where i get the most slack is when i when i'm stubborn and resistant to to change for me it's actually because i am i'm an outgoing person (laughs) and i can be a little bit on the loud side so even from early on i was always like by teachers like heather you're being too loud or like I was always too loud, so, so too because loud. too loud, <laughs> and even just you know at a family dinner, whatever. Heather, you don't have to yell at everyone. I'm not yelling. <laughs> so there we go. I think for me, it's being sometimes too blunt, say exactly what I think, and maybe not fluff it enough. I don't know if it's a French Canadian <laughs> thing or if it's because English is my second language, but sometimes the filters are not all there. And I have learned to um, ask myself sometimes, is it worth it? Is it not worth it? But it does not always work. <laughs> so sometimes it just comes out. Well, it's good to be honest. Yes. Yes, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to say thank you, Calvin. Thank you for having me. And thank you, Heather. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your contribution in other parents' life. For our listeners, the conversation continues on our website at parenttalk.ca. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook. And you can subscribe to this podcast on our website or on iTunes so you don't miss an episode of Parent Talk. Remember, there's nothing more powerful than feeling supported by a community of parents by sharing your thoughts, ideas, and experiences. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And have a great week. The views and or opinions of the host and their guests are not necessarily those of Parent Talk and should not be considered as fact. The information offered is believed to be accurate but is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice and should not be used for diagnosing or treating any health issue or prescribing medication. 
If you have any questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your child, please seek assistance from a qualified healthcare practitioner.